Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. And so today we're doing a PTSD series for Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm currently recording on our Facebook group for Heavily Vision. I'm recording for the Instagram Live. And then I'm also recording for the podcast simultaneously because yes, your girl is multi-talented, okay? So if you're just joining me, make sure that you get a pen and sheet of paper. And if you're around someone who needs to hear this information, even if they're an adolescent um, or, you know any adult for that matter, um, I would definitely get them engaged. This is going to be a lesson that you don't want to miss. Okay. So what I'm going to do is introduce you or reintroduce you to what PTSD is. I'm going to break it down into very regular language. And, you know, if you have comments um, or questions, go ahead and post them in the chat boxes. Um, I like engagement. So talk back to me, like send me some hearts or thumbs ups on Facebook or Instagram, you know what I'm saying? But um, this is a series that I did about four years ago and it got a lot of traction because a lot of individuals um, back then, at least because we didn't have as much psychoeducation, a lot of people thought that, uh oh, sorry about that. A lot of people thought that you had to like go to the war, like be um, in the military in order to be exposed to trauma. And we know in certain neighborhoods, that's simply not true. You can simply depending on where you live, you can like go to sleep at night and hear helicopters. That could be traumatic. You can, I know for me, I could walk outside. So what I'm going to do is be very transparent with this mental health awareness um, session today. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about what I've been exposed to as well, because just because I'm a mental health provider does not mean that I have not been exposed to various levels of trauma. Okay. So I grew up in the nineties and what I'm going to do is share with you after I go over the definition of PTSD, some things that I've been exposed to that some of you may relate to if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, okay? So when you look at PTSD as the acronym, it stands for, of course, post-traumatic stress disorder. So how I break it break it down in layman's terms to my clients is I usually do a questionnaire So and, and participate with me, like put it in the chat box. So does post mean before or after, Okay. Does post mean before or after? Put a B in the chat box or an A in the chat box if you're watching this live, okay? So clearly we know that post means after. So then I will write that on the board if I were in a physical training. And then I want to shift to the T. T is for trauma. So how would you define trauma? Typically my clients say, oh, it's when I'm exposed to something that's bad. And trauma actually can can directly impact you, meaning you can be the victim. Um, it could You could see a witness. You could be a witness of something happening to someone else. Or you can hear about it. And I think that that's the one that we sleep on the most because a lot of us, you know, hear about, especially in mental health, you know what I'm saying? Like we hear so much stuff in the office, on the phone, through the computer now, through telehealth services. And we don't recognize that. I mean, we work in a confidential space. We can't just get up and I can't call my mom and say, oh, guess what happened today? Like I'm feeling some type of way about it. I can't do that. Okay. So let me just give this disclaimer for those of you who are watching me. If I'm looking up or down, I'm doing a Facebook live with my church and I'm doing, of course, an Instagram live because I feel like everybody needs to hear about this lesson, PTSD in the hood. So 
P is for post, meaning after, and then T is have you been exposed to any type of traumatic event? Then you want to think about the S, stress. So the question I usually will ask my clients and I'm asking you is, thanks for the love, is how do you know that your body is stressed out? What does your body do inside and outside? Some of us, when we get stressed out, what put it in the chat box, what would your body do? Some of you freeze up. Some of you start crying. Some of you want to cry, but you can't cry. Some of you start shaking. That left leg starts shaking. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but you have some internal cues that happen, maybe such as your body your stomach hurting, or you may have the external cues, which is the ones that I described. And then D is for disorder. Disorder is not bad, you guys. Disorder just simply means that we're putting a name to something to help us lead you and guide you to the right treatment. That's all it is. So some people freak out like, I don't want no diagnoses. Diagnoses is just a cluster of symptoms that tells us exactly what type of therapy you're supposed to be doing with us. That, that, that That's all it is. And majority of mental health diagnoses, diagnoses are curable, meaning if you do your freaking homework and you match up with a good therapist and you're transparent with what you're going through or what you've been through, they can help you with your problem. So therapy is a job, all right? So if you put all that together, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, in layman's terms, after you're exposed to a horrific horrific event, your body does all these crazy things and then you can't function. That's what disorder means. You either have an impairment of functioning in academics, in occupation, or in interpersonal relationships, which include romantic and friendship relationships and family relationships. That's all it is, y'all. So stop overthinking when somebody says, okay, we came up with the diagnostic, you know, label that you have per se. Okay. So now I want to expose you to my trauma. Okay. So start talking back to me. You can use the emojis, you can use the hearts or the thumbs up, but I want to know if you've been exposed to any of this. So show me some thumbs up or hearts. If you're watching live, if you grew up in the eighties or the nineties, Um, show me some love if you grew up in the eighties or the nineties, because I know a lot of my followers, they grew up in like eighties, nineties, some are a little bit before, but majority of them probably like 2000 or something. And so I want to share with you a couple of things that I've been exposed to. And it's crazy because I'll probably laugh at them now, but they're very not comical at all. Okay. So does anybody remember the game called drive by? Now, if you did not grow up in the hood, you may think, well, what the heck is this girl talking about? Like playing a game called drive-by. So drive-by is um, all the kids, we would go outside and the agreement was when a particular either type of car would roll by or heck if any car would roll by, then we would simply die to the ground. Now, yeah, somebody said, yeah, uh, so um, one of the therapists on Instagram said, sadly, I do, right? So when we're growing up, we don't recognize that this is not cute. This is not funny, but as a mental health professional, we know better, right? But I use this information to get more information about from my clients because they'll swear up and down. They haven't been traumatized. And I'm like, really? You know what I'm saying? Like the fact that you trained yourself in a friendly kids game to dive to the ground like it was a shooting when a car drove by. How sad is that? Y'all come on now, you know? So that wasn't fun. Um, another one, I, I, I give them names, excuse me. I give them names. This one is called Gun in a Treehouse. 
So how many of you had a play area designated in your backyard? Or for me, I lived in a triplex apartment for about seven years with my mom. And that's where honestly a lot of this stuff happened because just to like give you the context of where we lived, um, my mom did her due diligence by getting information, doing, you know, safe drive-bys in the daytime on the holidays at night on the weekend, trying to see like what type of neighborhood we were really going to move in. The street was always quiet, but I guess my mom didn't go on a particular day. And literally the night we moved in, I kid you not, on the east side of Compton, we literally were sleeping on the floor. (laughs) There was a drive-by because we moved next door, not just to the drug house, like to the dope dealer's house, but also they did exchanges, right? And I was like, wait a minute. I'm 11 years. No, I'm seven at the time. We moved out of there when I was 11. Yeah. So we lived there for a short of like five years. So I was like, this, I don't think what we signed up for. We moved out of a place that was getting robbed all the time in East Long Beach to this, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, this, this ain't it. So nevertheless, we stayed there. And so, you know, one day we went outside and, um, we had a designated playhouse, um, under a tree. Okay, so for those of you who are joining me, we're talking about PTSD in the hood and I'm giving you transparent live situations that we would view comical back in the 80s and 90s, but it's definitely trauma. So this second instance, we, you know, we're playing house or whatever. It was me and two of the other little girls and we had our Barbies and dolls out there. So when we went out there, if you are from certain neighborhoods, you know, they have like those those trees that shed those big old leaves, them leaves like like that big. Right. And they're brown. You know what I'm talking about? And, And they're thick. Right. So we noticed that it was one of the leaves on top of our little fake stove. And I was like, why is this leaf here? So, of course, being curious because we need to cook on our little fake stove, I I, I lift up the leaf. And what do I see? A big silver gun. Like, like silver. I would probably call it a glock. I don't know. So I was like, oh, wow. So luckily I had enough sense not to pick it up. So we went to one of the girls I was playing. We got her dad. He came, like got, got a uh, something else to like pick it up. But they end up calling like 911. Um, the police, comp the police at the time, not sheriff, comp the police at the time came and got the gun. I'm sure the person who hid it thought they were hiding in a very cool place. And they probably came back was like, where the heck is my gun? But luckily I wanted one of those kids who would say, oh, let's just pick up a gun and like twirl it because apparently it was loaded y'all talk about trauma now see I'm, I'm gonna say little but little stuff like that it will get ingrained in your mind and only until I went to grad school I realized oh this is not funny because when I'm around my affluent counterparts they're not laughing they're actually looking at me like I'm ignorant okay so that's another one another one is remember how I said we lived next door to the, the dope Della house and also the picker up crack house so One particular night, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, car parties used to pop. My mom having a car party. All the kids are, we stay in a uh, a triplex where I'm at the top. So, you know, one of those apartments where you have to go into a a bar door, then you have to go upstairs and then you hit the apartment. So we were like that, right? So we were playing on the stairs, you know, kids, we pull each other down the stairs or whatever. And so we're playing on the stairs. And then my mom was like, stop playing on the stairs. Somebody going to get hurt. Y'all go in y'all room. So we go in a room and start playing just games or whatever. So literally as soon as she told us to go into the room, right? Thanks Bishop. A lot of us have experienced this. It's, It's crazy, right? So we went up to the room and literally shortly after, within a couple of minutes, a shooting happened. I don't know if it was a drive by or just shooting at the house next door. So 
Everybody hit the floor. I remember this is how you know it's trauma. I remember this night like it was yesterday because I had a 10 speed. I didn't have any other place to put it. I didn't want to put it in the garage because they steal. So I put my blue 10 speed in my room, like in the corner. And when we hit the ground, when you hear shooting, you don't try to look around to see what's on the floor. You just are supposed to hit the floor. So when I hit the floor, I end up not bleeding, but I pierced my side with the pedal. And if you have an old school 10 speed, you know what I'm talking about. Them pedals are not a joke. So it pierced my side and I was just like sore or whatever. So the reason why I'm sharing this story, that particular one, is that when I, because you know, they continued the car party. Talk about trauma, right? We're so used to it. We just continue playing, right? So um, the next day I went outside to play and I guess, I don't know how this happened, but there was a bullet hole in our bar door. There was not a bullet hole in the wooden door. So my guess is maybe the wooden door was open when the shooting happened and the bullets were flying and the bar door, maybe, I mean, the the wooden door probably got shut or something. So I, I, when I went outside, I thought it was weird that there was a hole in the door and there wasn't a hole in the door like that the day before. So I turned, something told me to turn around and I looked up, it's white stairs, no carpet. And I found a bullet. And I just thought, how ironic. We were just playing on the stairs before the shooting happened. So thank God my mom told me, hey, y'all may want to go play in a room. I don't want you to get hurt, right? Who feeling this? Because these are things that are very small to some of us when we grow up, but those things can be ingrained in you to then make you hypervigilant, which I'll talk about in a moment, okay? So then um, I'll share another story at the end because I want you to see how these childhood experiences definitely built up to, one, me looking ignorant in front of my counterparts because I grew up in certain neighborhoods where I was exposed to trauma all the time, so it wasn't a big deal to me, and two big things stood out as an adult. So now the reason why I wanted you to bring out a sheet of paper is that I want you to tally up your own traumatic symptomologies, not the event, but the aftermath of the events. Okay. So there's two different types of, well, three types of trauma. There's, there's PTSD, which is you've been exposed to like one event. Then there's complex trauma, which is you've been exposed to multiple events, but they can be different ones, which is me, right? Then you can have what's called vicarious trauma, which is me again, because you often hear, information from other people about what they've been through. And depending on your job title, you may be the holding tank for a lot of this information. And that can become very overwhelming, anxiety provoking and low key, like depressive, you know, and just feeling like you just want to let loose, like you need to take a break. All right. So I want you to pull out a sheet of paper. So I'm going to break down the symptomologies, but in regular language. Okay. So there is no, uh, statistical number. Like if you score three, Oh, I got this. I'm not doing that. I'm actually going to tell you that if in each section, honestly, heck, if you got more than one, but if you got a lot based off the items that I list, you may want to go check out a therapist. Okay. So the first one is B and B is for behavior. And if you see me looking down, I am looking at my notes. All right. So do you experience any sleep? So I want you just to tally them up. You don't have to write these down. So do you experience any sleep disturbances? Sleep disturbances would be you have trouble staying asleep, falling asleep. You wake up in the middle of the night. Okay. Um, So that's one. The next one, do you experience any nightmares? Do you experience any appetite changes? And I would say, 
Um, maybe as a result of you being exposed to this, maybe some of you experience this immediately after, or maybe after you've been exposed to a couple of things, you know what I'm saying? But do you experience any appetite changes either up or down? Um, do you experience hypervigilance? So hypervigilance would be, um, let me just back up in the hood. Uh, hypervigilance is pretty normal. Uh, hypervigilance is where you're taught how to recognize your surroundings, how to look around you to make sure that you're safe. That's hood like normalcy, but being abnormal looks like this. I'll always embed a story because I think that people resonate more with stories than they do psychobabble. So I remember seeing, I'm gonna call him a minor because I was seeing him in the juvenile transitional program. I was, I was seeing him in Watts, California and that one, the issue, like I was, I grew up right down the street from there in Compton. So I used to go get him and like take him out of the four block radius because I just felt like you needed to see more than what your hood showed you, you know? And so we would always go on like little lunch sessions or whatever. I would see him on my lunch time. So we, I went to go pick him up from school this particular day. He told me that he had got into it with a kid at his school that was from an enemy hood. And I was like, all right, well, what happened? And he was like, nothing. You'll be so proud of me. I practice my anger management. I'm still, I'm still going to tell you about hypervigilance because this is a story on hypervigilance. So he said, you are very, you'll be very proud of me. I did not fight him. I just told him I didn't want no problems. I didn't want to violate my probation, all that stuff. So I'm like, high five, give it up. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, we went out to eat and then he proceeded to tell me that the kids, still wanted to fight him but he just like walked out the bathroom and the kid didn't follow him or anything so (laughs) as I dropped him off after this lunch session he I always ask the juvenile kids in particular when I meet with them before they transition from camp when I used to work for the county is there anywhere that I cannot go because if I have to transit you to um, an appointment of some sort I want to make sure that I ain't driving through like a drive-by you know what I'm saying because these kids 90% of them are from gangs like very active and so he was like, I just can't go here, here, and here. So I knew what the touch, touch points were as to where I could not drive. So anyways, we're driving. And what would you think if somebody started doing this while you're driving? Now, at the time, I had a car that was very low to the ground, like a coupe car. He started doing this, y'all. So put in the chat box, somebody who's 6'5", what do you think is happening as to why this person is sliding down in your mother-loving seat? Probably because it's unsafe. And I said, wait a minute. I turned down the radio and I said, what are you doing? He said, TK, TK, or he called me Dr. Jackson back then. But he was like, you can't, um, you can't drive down here. I said, this wasn't one of the areas that you told me I couldn't drive down. He said, it wasn't, but it is now. You lucky I can't pull over the car because clearly you told me I can't be driving up in here. So you need to duck down further and we're going to have a conversation when we get to your house because we about to have a whole nother session. And he was like, all right. So when we got to the house and a long story short, he basically had told me that that person and him had had an encounter. And let's just say there was some not cool things that happened. No one was hurt, luckily, but you can read between the lines. And I said, oh, so how it became more hypervigilant, it wasn't for him, it was for me. Guess what ended up happening when every time I would go get him and leave his home? What was I doing? I looked hella paranoid. I was looking in every single mirror, like no lie, especially that day. I was looking at every mirror, y'all, like every five seconds. And I remember when I was about to drop him home, he was like, Dr. Jackson, are you okay? And I'm like, no. Like, don't say yes. No, I'm not okay. Because you don't put me at harm's way. Like, this is how I do therapy. Like, they want to do this stuff in the street. I'm about to talk real 100 to you right now. 1,000. So that is an example of hypervigilance, which is like the overly paranoid looking person. 
right? Like you just feel like somebody following you, something bad about to happen. And you probably have been exposed to something that would make you do that more. Okay. So let me just repeat the, um, some of the, uh, behavioral symptoms. So under B, you're welcome. Um, under B, it would be sleep disturbances, nightmares, appetite changes, hypervigilance, right? Beyond hood normalcy. And then you have what's called exaggerated startled response, which would include like jumpiness with veterans. That's typically when they hear a loud noise and they jump or something, they dive under the table because they think it's a motor attack. Okay. Um, another one that you may not understand, but it's linked to the way that our brain is wired after we are exposed to trauma is losing things, clumsiness, self-harm behaviors like cutting um, and or negative coping like smoking, drinking in a particular way that you're trying to numb yourself. Okay. So I've listed off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So you are to tally up how many you have. Okay. So that, those are behaviors that are as a result of trauma. Now, this is only three um, for physical symptoms. So have you experienced any of these, um, any type of panic attacks or panic symptoms, such as this is all one, uh, sweating, rapid heart weight, uh, rates, um, heart palpitations, difficulty breathing, feeling faint or dizzy. That would all be panic. Okay. So that's one symptom. Do you experience any bodily aches or pains? Now, culturally research shows that, um, specifically Hispanic population, um, Native American and Asian American, those are the three top groups that um, report to their physical doctor that they have physiological symptomology when the actuality is mental. And their doctor over time will start to recognize it and say, hey, have you thought about therapy? You know, So um, aches and pains, have you experienced any of that? Because your body will sometimes get into an anxiety prone state and then it will um, tell you that you need to like slow down and take a break. Um, and then the last one, of course, is a weakened immune system, kind of like the fight or flight response. You can't expect your bodily functions to function regularly if your body is always under duress. Okay. So that's physical symptoms. The next one or category is cognitive symptoms. So have you experienced any of these possibly as a result to exposure to trauma? Um, minimization of vicarious trauma. I'm going to come back to that one because that one is the professional story that I want to share. Um, so don't mark that one yet. The next one is lowered self-esteem or increased self-doubt. Um, the next one is trouble concentrating. The next one is confusion or disorientation. Like you sometimes be feeling like you tapping out of reality. The next one is perfectionism. Believe it or not, perfectionism is a, a ward off of anxiety. So most people are OCD-ish, have tendencies of everything having to be in place. They're very anal, specifically because they feel like internally they lack control. Okay, they lack control. So in order to gain control, they got to take control over something. And especially for children, they will. I've seen younger adolescents who take full um, like control of their academics to the point where one young lady, she could never finish her homework assignments because she had to be a perfectionist in the way that she would write to the point where she can never finish her classroom assignments to turn them in because she would often erase. Like it has to be perfect. Her T has to be crossed. But when I got a history from her, she had exposure to some serious levels of trauma. And as a child, she had to resort to finding a way to find some control because she couldn't control the trauma that was happening in her household. So let me know if that makes sense. Okay. So that's perfectionism. Also people experience racing thoughts, loss of interest in pleasurable activities that they used to enjoy. Um, 
um, repetitive images of the trauma. We call that flashbacks. Um, maybe some people lack meaning of life, meaning you feel like you're, some of our young kids say they're not going to live past the age of 18 because of the things that they've seen or maybe threats on their life. Working in the juvenile population, they would often say they have a green light on their life. And it was documented that they did. As soon as they would get released, we pray and hope that they make it and stay out, you know? And then the last one is thoughts of harming yourself or others. So one of the ones that I once wanted to shelf in regards to the way that we think in terms of trauma in the hood is minimizing vicarious trauma. So again, I'm going to present it in a comical way, but by no means is this comical as a professional licensed clinical psychologist. So during my earlier years in practicum, which is a baby internship, uh, before I, you know, graduate or whatnot, I was placed in Richmond. How many of you guys are familiar with Richmond? So just to give you some context, this hurt my soul. So I came from Compton. I made the decision to move up to the Bay Area and my school was in Point Richmond, which is like on the outskirts of Richmond, but it's still in Richmond. Okay. So someone has said, man, you may like <laughs> the drug dealers down the street from where I grew up was like, oh, you going to the Bay? You may want to check that out because it's, it's, it's low-key dangerous. And I'm like, you create dangerous situations on our street. You know what I'm saying? But whatever. So I decided to look it up and I found a list of the 100 worst cities in the United States. They come out with this list every year, y'all. So at the time, St. Louis was number two. Oakland was number one. Richmond was number four and Compton was number 11. I said, now, wait a minute, I'm moving to a worse city. And so I said, whatever, I already got accepted into the doctoral program I'm going. So I moved up there the second year I got my practicum site match. And I was, <laughs> I was like, what if I get matched to one of the high schools in the dead smack middle of the hood? God knew what he was doing, but he placed me there. So I got placed the first year at Richmond High, you know, the Oilers, Coach Carter. And then the second year or halfway through the first year, I also picked up a part-time job at uh, Kennedy High, which is on the other side of the tracks. So the reason I'm explaining this is because there were a lot of turf, what we would call gang wars in the Bay Area. And I knew something was wrong with the culture because they didn't go, the black gangs, they didn't go by color. They went by streets, like they call them turfs. And so, and the language was different. They would use like blood and cuz like interchangeably. So I thought that that was odd, but whatever. Um, so I'm at my practicum. I'm meeting with another clinician. Now she's from a more, a more affluent uh, neighborhood. Okay. So as I'm talking to her, because remember I'm describing how we minimize what we're exposed to because it's normal to you, but it's not normal to the norm. Let me repeat that again. What's normal to you in the hood is not normal to the norm. Okay. So let me just give you the context. We're in a bungalow. We call it the little baby health center. I go and I get my therapy kids out of class. We meet, I walk them back to class or I give them a pass unless it's like passing period or something. So the makeup of the staff in there, because all of this will make sense in regards to minimizing, is I'm the only African-American on that day, but probably period. And there's an older Caucasian lady, an older Hispanic lady, and then a younger Hispanic lady. The younger Hispanic lady is my counterpart. She's more advanced than me, meaning she's, she's, she's like almost done with her clinical hours. So we're in there consulting about a shared case that we have with two siblings. So as we're talking and we're eating lunch, you hear a pop, pop, pop. And I got quiet because in the hood, we know what those pops are. We can tell the difference, at least back then. What is the difference between a firecracker and a gunshot, right? Give me some love if you know the difference between gunshot and firecracker. At least in the 80s and 90s, it was a little different. So um, 
She said, oh, Takesha, don't worry about it. That's just firecrackers. They've been popping it like they pop them out here like all year long. So I said, huh? Right. And she was like, why you do that? I said, nothing. Keep talking. So literally she couldn't get one sentence out her mouth without it going off again, but a round of like four to five shots. And at that point, I guess the hood came out and I was like, Hazel, shut up. Oh, whatever. And she was like, what's Akisha? What? And I said, girl, those are not no freaking firecrackers. Those are gunshots. And she was like, no, I promise you. Soon as she said that lockdown happened. Now, if you ain't never been in a lockdown, it's not a game. I've been in a lockdown at a jail. Definitely not a game because wherever you are, you are stuck. Oh, right. So I'm luckily in a bungalow. I have no kids with me. However, I have to leave in 15 minutes because I believe I need to get to supervision on time. I ain't worried about no lockdown. I ain't worried about where these gunshots came from. In my mind, because it's normal to hear gunshots, I'm just trying to get to supervision on time. So I'm more concerned that my supervisor is going to be disappointed at me for being late. I want you to see where my mind is when you grow up in the hood. Because at this point in my life, I am 26 years old. I've been exposed to trauma, heck, probably since birth. My father has been in the incarceration system pretty much my entire childhood. I grew up in different parts of Compton where, I mean, heck, I can look outside my door and see a tarp on top of a body at different places in my life because that was another situation as an adult. Walking out of a club, walking past a dead body going to go eat after the club, and then going to work the next day like nothing happened. Come on, okay? So um, what ended up happening is these women are running around frantic like, oh my God, oh my God, because if you've been in a lockdown, 15 minutes is a very long time. That means it's serious if it honestly is past like five minutes, right? So I asked the women, can y'all like call the office to see how long we are gonna be on this lockdown? And they were like, Takesha, no, it's like serious. And I'm like, I understand the complexity of the situation. I know it's a lockdown, but I really need to get to supervision. So can somebody call the front desk? So they called the front desk and they were like, we don't have any word. It's been a dangerous situation, like close to the school. And the gunshots did seem a little close. So I'm like, all right. So I, I'm not going to do it right now because I'm on video. But when I do this live, I will actually go stand in that corner. And this is how I was literally looking at them running around all frantic in a bit damn panic attack. Excuse my language, like for the whole 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, it's like I'm literally saying, like, it's not that serious. So one of the ladies said, why are you so calm? I said, I mean, it was just some shooting. I mean, nobody got shot. Like not nobody in here. Like, I know y'all I don't know nobody else. So. I mean, they would have told us if a kid got shot because I probably would have been called because I'm mental health. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, can you just call and ask them? So after we went back and forth, they finally let it up. So when I went out, this again is hood mentality. You literally will drive through the freaking bullets and think it's normal. So there are always two ways out for the most part, unless you're in a dead end. But there were two ways out this particular day. As I'm driving, I can clearly go out the back way, which will take me an extra three minutes to get to my supervision site because I ain't even that far. Or I can just drive like my car right here. The par- the the um, the street is right here. And then I can just drive and hit that corner and go to my supervision spot. So when I get when I'm walking to my car, I clearly see caution tape. And I'm like, oh, it was something serious. But it didn't dine on me like, oh, it was something serious. Um, Now, I found out that it was somebody trying to hold up like a 7-Eleven type store. And nobody got shot, but I guess he made some shots or something like that. And he was arrested. So that's why they put up the caution tape. So I literally made the decision, y'all, to put my supervision first. And I drove out toward the caution tape, not realizing what happened first. What I just told you guys, I found out later. And so I sped to my supervision. I ran in with all my charts and I'm like, all right, my bad. You know, I'm a couple of minutes late, like two minutes though, but I made it. And my supervisor was an older Jewish woman, um, Caucasian. 
And she said, what's wrong? I said, nothing. It was a lockdown. No big deal. Let's talk about these cases. Cause I got 16 cases. Go figure. The only like only two of us, well, four of us, well, three of us that were black out of a cohort of 16 students. Um, I'm the only black person at the school. That's the therapist. And go figure like all of my cases are black. And out of 16 of them, half of them or more than half are all African-American males, single parent household, go figure, right? So not even going to get there. We'll have a cultural diversity training later. So um, she said, because we never get to go through all those cases. So she said, Takesha, slow down. I said, but I really need to talk about these cases I didn't get through last week. And, the re- and, and, and let me know if this story is helping you understand, please, the complexity of your mindset when you grow up in the hood. Because a lot of you hear me speak and I may reference, oh, yeah, I'm from Compton or et cetera, you know, because a lot of people are from the hood and don't think that good people can come out of the hood. But I need to share with you the other side that's actually going to hurt you. OK, it's going to hurt you in building professional relationships because you're going to look stupid. You're going to look ignorant because you don't even recognize how you've been traumatized and you think things are funny and they're not. OK, certain things you should walk around with not a blind eye, but you do because you've been exposed to these things and they're normal to you. And so. Basically, my supervisor slowed me down. She said, I need you to take a deep breath. And then she told me the words no intern ever wants to hear, which is, we ain't talking about your cases today. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. And she said, Takesha, I know your background because they get to know us. I know where you come from. She said, but this is a big deal or whatever. And I'm like, I understand it's a big deal. It was a lockdown, but so are my cases. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So she said, don't you? She said, let me, let me, let me help you understand this. So she real like down to earth. She said, don't you go get your kids from class because you don't like when the other kids go get them because they take too long. And I was like, yeah. She said, so you walked your kids to and from their classroom, correct? On campus. She said, yeah. And she said, where was the caution tape? I said, oh, right across the street from the bungalow, like right there. She said, so it was pretty close, like a hundred yard dash kind of like thing. And I'm like, yeah. She said, so what if because you think this is so normal. What if you would have, let's just say you had a kid and you were like, oh, lockdowns happen all the time. Let me just hurry up and get you back to class. And what if you decided that day, because it was normal to you, this is how she's talking to me. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm about to cry. She was like, what if you decided to walk your kid back to class, but oh, gunshots went off, but oh, you don't know where they at because it's normal to you. And that's when I sat back and I was like, I be darned. You know, I was like, wow, that was hella insight. Like the light bulb was flashing. And that's when I got my first perspective of, oh my God, (laughs) I got PTSD, y'all. Like it ain't funny, but it's real. And then later on, um, one of my um, kids in the juvenile facilities that got released, I did a PTSD questionnaire with him. And he said, Dr. Jackson, you grew up in the hood. Let me do this evaluation on you. And he wasn't being manipulative. We were actually having fun, you know, because he was very open and transparent. I'm like, all right. Now, mind you, this is like five, seven years later. Do you know he did the evaluation on me and I had complex trauma? He was like, dang, Dr. Jackson, like you messed up. And I was like, I know I need to, I need therapy right now. You know what I'm saying? But that made us closer because then he realized that he's not the only one that's been through trauma. So that's how I've utilized my background to help me. So that is a long story to explain how many of us minimize your trauma. So give me a thumbs up or some emojis if you're watching on Facebook and or on live, or if you're listening on the podcast, of course you can comment, but let me know if just put a one or something or an emoji. If you've experienced that, if you've downplayed being exposed to trauma because it's normal to you, 
right? So that's cognitive. You probably done lost track of numbers. All right. So let's go to emotional. You're welcome. So emotional symptoms. I'm just going to name these because they're pretty straightforward. This is what you will experience if you have an emotional impact from trauma or a residual impact. Um, You may feel helpless and or powerless. That's one. You may feel survivor's guilt. Thank you for letting me know that y'all listening to me. You know what I'm saying? And this resonates on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you, Bishop. I see you. Uh, So do you have survivor's guilt? Some people may have that where somebody either got hurt or got hurt really badly where they didn't make it out and you were the one to survive. That's survivor's guilt. Numbness. Um, like your body is numb, your mind is numb. Oversensitivity, like you moody, we can't, we don't know what day you, you know, you rolled off on the bed today um, or what side of the bed you rolled off on. Um, you have fear, which a lot of specifically men of color don't like to acknowledge, but if you have fears, that's one. Um, do you experience any type of general anxiety, whether it be your thoughts or your body? And then of course, sadness and or literally depression, like you just feel so blue and so sad and so down today. So those are all, emotional symptoms. And then lastly is social symptoms. And this is one we definitely minimize. Okay. So as a result of trauma, you may recognize that you do any of the following. So tally them up. You may withdraw or isolate from hanging out with other people or going certain places and you can't really pinpoint why. Um, Some of you may feel lonely inside, like you're by yourself, or maybe you're experiencing what you're experiencing by yourself. Some of you may experience irritability or intolerance, meaning you go from zero to 100 hella quick and you don't understand why. Uh, A lot of you become very distrustful of other people because you feel like if I can't trust my surroundings, I can't trust nobody. I can't even go nowhere because there's trauma all around me. Um, Projection and or blame or rage, you may start to blame or project a buildup of feelings or have a, a, a wide range of negative emotion that could be projected on other people because of something that may have happened to you or that you've seen happen to someone else. Another one is decrease interest in intimacy. Yes, it does hurt you in the bed. Yes, it does help um, hurt you with also emotional um intimacy with your ability to spend quality time with like your family, right? So are we just talking about men here? No, all those examples that I gave you were all from me. So if you just joined, some of the examples that I gave in the beginning were from childhood, but I hope that you caught that example that I just gave as far as like either hypervigilance with that case I was working with, being questioned by one of my kids for PTSD and or the one at the school for the lockdown. I'm a woman. I've never been from a gang. I've never been active from a gang. I'm affiliated with them. Everybody's affiliated with them if you live in LA County because you know people from a gang. That's a, that's the definition of affiliation, but that doesn't mean that I run with them in the streets. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, because of where I grew up, I was exposed to all these things and I didn't recognize the impact it would have on my life. All right. So again, you can be be distrustful. And then a lot of us can actually have, Oh, this is a good one. Y'all, if you a parent, you better listen up. Or if you're a caregiver of a child, your niece or nephew, God, kids, whatever change in parenting style, you can become super overprotective. I saw this with my eyes in the juvenile justice system, working at a juvenile hall, the mom, which was a probation officer at 10 years old, her son had a birthday party. I was like, oh, what is he doing? It's so exciting. This is a milestone for him. She said, oh, we're going to have a little something at a hotel. I'm like, oh, that's dope. And she was like, well, and I said, so what does it entail? Like, I like to throw parties and stuff. And so, um, I, you know, what games do you need help with or whatever? We at work. Let's talk about it. So she said, oh, no, it's good. She said it's going to be a slumber party. And I'm like, huh, okay. So, uh, oh, that's the question that you had. Okay, I get it. So um, she said, um, I said, tell me about the slumber party. She said, well, the parents are going to come. I told them to bring their reading materials because they have to stay there with their kid and then nobody gets to spend the night, but they can participate in the games, but the parents can be in the corner. 
what kind of slumber party is this? And so I like treaded lightly because I'm not that close to her. And I was like, oh man, that don't sound like so much fun that like, you know, they can't like spend a night. She said, I don't trust these kids and I don't trust their parents. And then I had to recognize where I was working, not just in a jail, but I happened to work in the 15 and 16 year old, what was considered the sex offenders unit. Now, technically only 10% of those kids were charged, not convicted of a sex crime, but she used her work to influence her personal life. Right? So who is going to result as, who's going to be impacted as a result of her trauma, vicarious trauma at that from work, her child, which is her only son. And he was 10. So I can only imagine what's going to happen at 18. Right? So Yeah. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want kids to move away when they become adults. We don't want kids to not want to, you know, be close to us. And so if you do experience that where you are distrustful, intolerant, um, you, you don't trust the world around you, then I would encourage you to take a hard look at what you've been exposed to. Because the worst thing you want to do is pass down that distrust to another generation. Because only two things can happen as a parent. You can either make your kid as anxious as you, and we may think that that's normal, but it's not because they need to get into a healthy relationship and they're going to push people away. Or you can actually push your child away from you, which is what I've seen a lot with a lot of my adult clients, but young adult clients and their parents are trying to figure out why this kid is ready to leave. And when the parent and the child finally tell me the complex history I'm like, you know, some of the things were out of the parents' hands as far as what happened to them, but you always have a choice as an adult to go get help, all right? So um, now, of course, I'm not going to leave you with like, oh, shoot, I'm traumatized and what should I do? (laughs) So um, I'm going to give you some self-help tools, some tips really quickly, okay? So of course, the first one that I'm really big on is self-care. So you need to take care of yourself. I know the bishop is watching watching in the church group, and I'll answer some of your questions, Um, Look for a therapist. Go on Psychology Today, the Boris L. Henson Foundation. We now have a sign-up list. If you go to borislhensonfoundation.org, you can sign up if you do not have insurance to get free services once our list opens up, and then you'll just get put in a, a list to be notified if you still are interested. Of course, you can always contact your insurance and ask them for therapists. Be very specific about what type of therapist. I'm not talking about just ethnicity, but I'm also specifically talking about a therapist who specializes in trauma. So if you are looking to be evaluated from trauma, you simply need to go through what's called a clinical intake and then the therapist will let you know what they can do with you in treatment okay but there are a lot of specialists out there that do specific therapy for trauma only okay um self-care also includes taking time off um i know the bishop is watching in the church thank you for saying that emdr therapy is really helpful for trauma tfcbt trauma focused cbt is very good for kids if you get that treatment you're probably going to get a certain amount of sessions and it's 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 following a certain structure okay so if they go in on you about like, when I say go in, I mean, they're only focusing on the trauma. It's because that's what you said you wanted to work on. So be careful about what you ask for in therapy because we're going to make you accountable. Um, taking time off. It's very um, important that I'm going to say healers, whether it be therapists, people in ministry, um, teachers, medical professionals. Um, it, it's sad as me to know that people cannot get days off. Like in all of our professions, like I actually need to take a freaking week off because during this COVID-19 I I didn't actually get no time off. Like, even though I don't work, work every day, I still work. You know what I'm saying? And my work is giving like this to me is psychoeducation. It's giving. I don't count it as work though, but I'm still in my field. You know what I'm saying? And so I didn't take a day off. So when I thought about this yesterday, I was like, oh man, I probably should take like a week off or something because I mean, 
other people could take weeks off, you know, so take, take time off. Um, also learn how to separate yourself, but on purpose with intention of working on yourself, separate yourself with the intention of working on yourself. Let me say it again. Separate yourself with the intention of working on yourself. Don't just isolate yourself. Isolated withdrawn is a negative coping skill, meaning I just don't want to be bothered. Like you got an attitude, you know, or maybe you're feeling depressive. That is not the best thing to do. The best thing to do is to reach out and get help. Okay. So don't separate yourself unless you are, let's just say your therapist said every day for an hour, I need you to take a walk by yourself. If you can, I need you to listen to a positive podcast or listen to my audio book, whatever that is, then you do that. Okay. Big importance, keep strong boundaries, not unhealthy boundaries, but strong and healthy boundaries. So one boundary that I'm going to share with you today is learn how to say no. I've had to say no to some very big things over, thank you, Bishop, for the love. I've had to show, I had to say uh, no to two big things um, last week. And I told my um, email tribe that I was going to share it on social media. So one of the things that I had to say no to, and it hurt, like my stomach is turning right now, the fact that I'm about to say it out loud. So about two years ago, I had vowed that I was in a stage of preparation for our church. We typically do a year like a theme. And then our Bishop breaks it down per month for like a theme, right? If that makes sense. So I feel like two years ago, we got the key. And to me that represented like foundation. You got to build your foundation to your house. Then after that, I just did a year of preparation because I felt like I was preparing myself to go to my next level. And a lot of manifestation, good things were happening to me last year. So I'm like, all right, I'm on the right path. And this year I'm walking in alignment. That's my biggest word this year is alignment, right? So I had told myself on my vision board two years ago that I would, I want to work from home. I said, I'm not going to shortchange myself. I really want to be able to spend more time with my family. I cannot get these years back. Once my child is in school in school, like at age of five, like for real school, I can't get that time back. These kids are out of my home for eight to 10 hours once they start playing sports and stuff. And I can see how quickly he grows up because he's two and I felt like he was just born. So I want to be intentional. And to me, I have a career and capacity to be able to do that. So, but I was always scared to say no to opportunities because often I would get them and I would say, yes, yes, yes. And then my schedule would get full, full, full. And then I would never have time to do the things that I wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? I would always do things that I love to do, which is my work, but I didn't do everything that I wanted to do. But look, show me some love, but that makes sense. Like if you really want to do things for yourself, but you have not made the time to do so. So Southwest College is in South Central um, Los Angeles. Of course, we're teaching online and I teach psych one and I teach abnormal psych, uh, which is an upper division course. Currently, I'm at a high school, Amino Watts or Amino Watts, but we're online. So they emailed me and said, Southwest, please select your courses for next year because until told otherwise, we will be teaching remote online. I said, oh no, like I've been struggling with saying no. I prayed on it. I sat on it and then I emailed them and I said, if our course is going to be online next year, you can drop me, drop me. I'm going I'm to take, I'm not going to quit, but I'm just going to take a pause. Let me know when we go back to campus. And the reason I'm doing this, just for those of you who don't know, who don't follow the news is they've decided, I don't know if it's across the board, but I know in particular areas with community colleges, they've chosen to remove the assessment tests. And for those of you who are college students or beyond, you know what the assessment test does. Now, some of us may not have liked it, I am a recipient, though, of remedial English reading comprehension and math classes. I told you I grew up in Compton. No shade, but my 3.8 GPA was equivalent to a 2.0 when I got to college. Okay, because I'm being compared to like people who grew up around me. So my writing was horrific, 
horrific. But what did I do? I went to the writing center. Why? Because I scored very low and I had to take those remedial classes. That was one of the best things that happened to me in my life. However, some people are saying it's discriminatory. Colleges possibly are taking, you know, the kids money because they can't never finish those remedial classes. Well, guess what? You need to work on your kids motivation. Then you need to get your kid a mentor. Then you need to get them a life coach. Then you need to step up to the plate and learn how to help your kid work through this system because there's no reason why a person that grew up all the way in the hood from, I'm going to say two years old up until heck November of last year, there's no reason why your child cannot partake in all these services that are free embedded in your tuition. That's bull. So to me, I feel like if you're about to put these kids straight up in my class and my class psychology one doesn't even have a prerequisite to begin with. And I already had to dumb down the work. I couldn't even give them writing assignments because I was failing students left and right. This peed me off. So I said, no, seven years ago when I started teaching, I dumbed down the work and now you want me to dumb it down again. I think that ain't what they said, but that's what they told me seven years ago. Like you may want to recognize where you teach bull because I am a recipient of growing up in the hood and I know what mindset it takes to go to a four-year college. And I'll be about the curse, but I'm on church. I'm about to say, I'll be doggone. If I'm about to let a kid go through my class and then they transfer to a four-year college and it slaps them in the face because that's exactly what I'm going to do to them when they get to me in the four-year colleges that I teach in or in graduate school for that matter. Don't play me. So walking in alignment, I am not about to teach. Southwest ain't bad, but I'm not about to teach for a system that to me is going to see a lot of kids drop out because if you put these kids from certain neighborhoods that do not have equal curriculum into regular English one, you know what kids y'all grow up around. Come on, let's be real. Look at the kids around us. A lot of them do not speak in or write proper English. They speak text language in acronyms, okay? And I see it in, in the papers that my kids write. And so for them to just be automatically thrown in English one, guess what's gonna happen? I feel, I wanna be optimistic, but I gotta speak the real. They're going to flunk out. So the statistics that they're trying to get away from, it's gonna happen again. So the reason I'm sharing that with this story is that part of my self-care routine, part of my motivation is also being in alignment with my true value. And my value this year is making sure that I am a teacher, I inform, I influence, and I make a dynamic impact. And I'm not about to make no impact for a system that's falling apart. I'm good. I'm not about to be a part of that. So yes, your girl had to say no. And that, I mean... Colleges don't pay us a whole lot of money, but I don't do it for the money. I do it for the give back. And so I felt like, you know what? God is putting me online for a reason this season. COVID-19 was not the devil. It was a blessing because it taught me how to navigate all my teaching online, everything online, because guess what was on my vision board two years ago? Work online preparation. So I know Bishop is listening and that's why I kept repeating it keeps putting me in a phase of like idea preparation. And this was a story that I was waiting kind of like in a testimony to say, okay? So yeah, it gets real. So let me go to these questions. So um, you're welcome. Great tips. Um, yeah, dumbing down the system is more discriminatory than holding them to a higher standard. Exactly, right? So th- this, is, this is crazy. So one of the things that I want to share before we wrap up, because the last tip that I have, of course, is asking for help, <laughs> right? So... I thought that this was pretty interesting and I'm going to share this um, also because I'm like on my church feed, but by all means, everybody's spiritual to me. So I'm going to share this. This is a book that I'm reading right now. It is done. And I thought that this was pretty cool because as a spiritual person and being almost 40, I low key was never taught 
what the word a man meant, like meaning somebody sat me down. And if they did as a child, they didn't ingrain it in me like it was like other things were ingrained, like Bible scriptures and stuff. Right. So I want to read this to you because I want you to understand that if you no longer want to live a life of trauma, if you want to change your mindset, if you want to change your overall wellness and your mental health, you have to learn how to ask for help. Get out of that fear. Get out of that shame. Get out of that embarrassment and use the tools and go get help. So it says the significance of it is done. And I want you to share some love if you feel this hitting you in a spiritual way. All right. So it says modern prayers in the Western world end with a man, which, which when loosely translated means, and so it is, or it is done. The amen one utters at the end of a prayer signifies that we have turned the problem completely over to God or to the universe and that nothing more needs to be done. Let me repeat that again. We have turned the problem completely over to God or the universe and that nothing more needs to be done. So I learned over time that if I simply turn my problems, whether they're internal or external relationship, academic, occupational, whatever my problem is, I'm going to, for me, turn it over to my higher power. I believe that God and the universe always conspires for the good. But one thing I'll leave you with, and, and hands down, this has definitely helped me, which is why a lot of you who've been following me for a while have seen my mindset just thrive on a whole new level, which is why I'm able to say no, because I know there are so many yeses coming. And I remember Bishop talked about that last, you know, last year. So when I learned how to say no, and I recognize that if it doesn't sit well with me in the direction that I'm going in with my life, that I need to one, make things right up here, which is like the trauma. And I need to ask for help, which I can ask for prayer. I can read books. I can go to my business coach. I have multiple mentors, you know what I'm saying? But I've recognized that if I simply do not hand over my problems to my higher power, I'm probably going to continue to have them like in my pocket, right? They're going to walk around with me like a little hook. And so I'm encouraging you that if you are experiencing anything that you feel you cannot shake, whether it be trauma, whether it be COVID-19 problems, I'm here to tell you that, and I heard somebody say this, like COVID-19 clearly was in 2019. So that's where your mind should be like, that's old and done. We're just dealing with the residual effects. The question that I have for you is, what are you doing to make sure that you can actually say a man and it really means a man. You have to be intentional with using the word a man. And the, what he says is instead of saying a man, actually start saying it is done because it actually slows you down to say three words. And now you got to, the hope is that you be more intentional about understanding that as soon as you pray for all this stuff to happen in your life and you're giving it over to God or whoever your higher power is or the universe that you actually give it to them, like give it, give it away. Like, so all the things that I've given away, I'm not going to go into it right now, but let's just say your girl is getting super opportunities since I said no, simply from last week. When I say manifestations and abundance is upon me, I just called my husband like right before I did this call. That's why I was like 10 minutes late. And I almost broke down and cried because something that was on my goal card for like a year just came true. And it was simply because... I'm walking in alignment with my true vision. So I really hope that you have enjoyed this lesson. Again, resources for mental health, 
always call your insurance first because they can tell you who's in network. Um, You can go to psychologytoday.com and look up therapists, but please make sure that you filter through the therapist like shopping for a car or shopping for shoes online and you choose a therapist that one, takes your insurance. And then secondly, that you resonate with how, you know, what type of therapy they do. Make sure you click off on trauma if you want trauma for your child or for an adult and make sure that you just simply, you know, hand it off, get help and take reservations for yourself to self-care. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.